Gotham Legend of the Dark Knight, Season 5, Episode 8, Nothing's Shocking. This is Francesca Root Dodson. I play Echo on Gotham. You're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. I'm David Mazuz, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Hey there. This is Andrew Sellen, Mr. Penn, and the Ventriloquist on Gotham. And this is Scarface. And you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Yeah, yeah. And you better keep listening, you hear? This is Robin Lord Taylor, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Welcome back, Gothamites, to Gotham TV Podcast, episode 138, about Gotham Legend of the Dark Knight, season 5, episode 8, Nothing's Shocking. Well, what is shocking is we're this late with the episode. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow detectives and fellow Gothamites. I am your other host, John. Yes, we're the ones that are shocking because we are so late on this. But unfortunately, um, yes, family and friends kind of got in the way um, (laughs) of uh, us recording our podcast because we really really wanted to get into this and of course we're so glad that we're now finally getting into this episode nothing shocking because wow it has um you know three become one so to speak with andrew salen and you should definitely check out our uh, interview that derek did with andrew salen because not only is he arthur penn not only is he the ventriloquist but he is also scarface yes as the Spice Girls said, three become one. Don't think they did, John. No, they didn't. They said two become one. <laughs> they did. That's the second podcast you referenced, two become one this week. I know. I love it. <laughs> but welcome back, fellow Gothamites. Yes, if you haven't heard those uh, the interviews we did with uh, Francesca Ruth Dodson, who plays Echo, and uh, with Andrew Sellen, his past as Mr. Penn and his now existing uh, character of Scarface. Uh, definitely check those two out. You'll see them on our website over at GothamTVPodcast.com or on any good or villainous podcast catcher. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you can hear all of those uh, interviews and all of the reviews for the show. Yes, season five goes on uh, fresh and exciting to its huge climax, I reckon. Uh, But let's get on with our spoiler-filled review. Derek, what are some of the episode details? Right. This is where it gets timey-wimey and very complex. I'm hoping I'm going to be able to explain this for those of you that don't know of our fellow Gothamites. Uh, The episode was directed by Kenneth Fink, uh, back for his third stint on Gotham after directing the episodes Mommy's Little Monster in Season 2 and The Demon's Head from Season 4. He's also been involved in The Expanse and the sci-fi series The Expanse, which I know you're a huge fan of, Yes, absolutely. So uh, welcome on board to USSS Gotham, (laughs) Kenneth Fink. Absolutely. I know I'm mixing up my shows here, but we just have to, really. <laughs> That's many, many different shows right there. It really is. <laughs> and also, someone else to welcome back to Gotham. Seth Boston has been heavily involved in Gotham. Back as a writer's assistant in Season 2, working on The Wrath of the Villains, that, that part of the season. Also written six additional episodes, including that wonderful episode where Andrew Sellen is dressed in a baby grow. So uh, has a lot of work with Mr. Penn in the past. Uh, but here's where it gets tabby wabby, as I mentioned. This was the second last episode produced in Gotham. If you've listened to our interview with Andrew Sellen, um, the full 10-episode arc that was originally commissioned by Fox was completed, all written, set in stone what they were going to do, and then they got an additional call for two more episodes, which meant that the showrunners and everybody behind the show had the ability to create an episode somewhere fitting into the middle of the show that would bring in characters that they weren't able to use in Gotham. That's why it feels a little bit out of the main continuity of the storyline. We get a couple of references to it to show that it's still within the same timeline and doesn't happen towards the end of the series. But this is the reason why we get people like Scarface, who we thought wasn't going to appear. Jane Doe, who's a comic book character, and we thought wasn't going to appear. So I think this episode deserves huge props for allowing them to explore some other parts of Gotham's past that we may not have seen if we hadn't got the extra episodes commissioned. Ah, definitely. I mean, I thought it was so, so good that, uh, you know, we delve back into Harvey Bullock's Mm. uh, past. The Spirit of the Goat from season one was absolutely one of our favorite episodes uh, for that first 12 uh, episode arc that Mm -hmm. um, came about with the first season. And then it got expanded with more episodes and it just blossomed from that, you know. Um, But it was a really um, great episode, this delving back into uh, Harvey Bullock's past, um, his previous time before Jim Gordon is at the precinct. And Mm -hmm. and we kind of touch back on that. So 
again, really, really nice, I think, for um, the writers and the showrunners to be able to do this. And even, I think, with bringing back um, Arthur Penn, Mr. Penn Absolutely. as well, just really, really nicely uh, done to have these reunited. Um, and again, it is just one of those things that it's a shame that it's so short. Um, I don't know much about The Ventriloquist, but... Um, I would have loved to have seen some more um, of, of this character uh, played by Andrew Sellen. So, yeah, fur dues to uh, the everyone involved, writers, showrunners, director, you know, and the the cast to to take a moment out to really delve a little deeper into some some of the past of some of the characters like Harvey and to to bring those groups back together again such as with um mr pen ed nigma and the penguin yeah yeah definitely really good to see them all all involved and again the production crew did a standout job we talked about it on the interview podcast with andrew Sellen. did a sterling job of bringing to life a character like scarface in such a short period of time because this is a kind of a an extra episode that nobody thought was going to happen john when the writers on Gotham TV show have the ability to write whatever they want to to finish off their season, what do they give us? Tell us what they gave us in your synopsis. Sure. Harvey Bullock's past comes back to haunt him when two former GCPD officers are murdered at the Sirens Bar. With information from Barbara, Jim Gordon discovers that the shape-shifting Indian Hill escapee called Jane Doe is behind the killings. Brought into the precinct, she escapes and murders Bullock's former partner, Dix. As Harvey takes matters into his own hands, his partnership with Jim becomes strained as he confesses that he and the victims unethically forced Jane, formerly Jane Cartwright, to incriminate her mother for killing her abusive father. Meanwhile, Bruce and Alfred explore tunnels beneath the city as they attempt to track down the missing husband of an injured woman. But if you go down to the sewers tonight, you're sure of a big surprise. As they rescue the woman's husband, they discover a severely disfigured and immensely powerful hybrid human who was affected by Jeremiah's chemicals. Elsewhere, Penguin and Enigma's plans to escape Gotham look like being torpedoed by Cobblebot's former accountant, <laughs> Arthur Penn. Suffering from a split personality, Penn is embodied by a ventriloquist dummy, Scarface, resulting in a confrontation with his former boss that leads to the death of Scarface and then the death of one Arthur Penn. For the second time in the history of yes. Gotham. Not many people have had that experience where they've died twice on Gotham, so really good to see Mr. Penn back in this episode. I love your choice of words, torpedoing Cobblepot's plan, because obviously they're building the submarine at the moment. So nice, Exactly. Nice <laughs> Only briefly, though, of course. Um, yes. And of course, death means nothing in the Batverse. So we can't wait to see Arthur Penn back. I know we're not going to get him. Yes. I'm just saying. <laughs> Let's it, get on to our five case notes for this episode, Chad. Case note number one, as you mentioned, a new season of The Ghost, possibly. Uh, you know, it was so interesting to see this because Dix is a character that we only saw in that episode in season one, a season of The Ghost, the backstory of Harvey Bullock, how he got to where he was, I suppose. So it's so interesting that they effectively went back to that original thought, that original idea and concept that came from Bruno Heller's version of Gotham when he was working alongside Danny Cannon, doing that whole concept of the history of the GCPD before Batman arrived into Gotham, which was the original whole thought. So having this in this episode, I thought was a great choice. Yeah, it was that time where Gotham Central was such a large part of this show mm -hmm. and really being kind of the springboard for uh, how these first kind of 12, 13 episodes of season one of Gotham really took place. Yeah. Um, and I think to see those backstories of Harvey Bullock uh, and a number of the other different characters uh, was actually really interesting because I think Gotham Central is one of those uh, comic runs that is massively um, influential within uh, the Batman universe and, and mythos. It doesn't involve him very much, but it really adds layers and depth to these supporting characters yeah. and to a lot of the supporting villains as well, like Mad Hatter. You know, what? not so, not the really big villains, even though they do show up like mm -hmm. the Joker, um, but they, they really kind of, because of the angle that it's coming from, can take many different perspectives. And I think they use that to great effect in, in the first season of, of Gotham. I suppose 
it's nice now to have that reconnection back to the roots of this show as well. And I think for Harvey uh, Bullock, I think that's really, really important because, um, you know, so often he's a great supporting character. When he's up front and full-faced in the camera, uh, having um, the story, you really see how good this character is. And just how well he's played by Donald Logue and, and the range of different emotions um, and feelings that he conveys through um, his his acting. It's really, really nicely done. And so it was, mm-hmm. it was nice to have this touch back to the season of The Goat. And, and, and we see here that uh, his former partner, Dix, has murdered Boggs and Lewis, two other detectives on this case. And um, that they were all involved in back before Jim uh, had arrived. But this yeah. is in the Sirens Club. And so um, Barbara, I mean, we just have this moment where uh, Dick's kind of knifes Boggs and Lewis in the head and blood goes everywhere in, in a fully stocked, uh, packed bar. <laughs> uh, and yes, Barbara's reaction is priceless as well to see um, these two bodies just fall from the bar. As She's fantastic even when they arrive, when she goes to them, okay, for your crap information, I'm going <laughs> to yeah. give you one drink that you have to share. I love that Barbara just has control over all of these former uh, detectives because all they want is a bar with some drinks behind the counter that they can just sit in for the evening and be surrounded by people apparently the only reason they're there is because she has the only full bar in in all of gotham of course she does because barbara's been taking everything in from all around them but really good and a wonderful moment when uh, she calls harvey because they're former cops and gets him to come in and harvey goes um why are you calling us in now that you've so many people have been killed here what are you usually doing she goes uh, bury the bodies and then find out who did it and then bury those bodies <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> great fun barbara in this episode definitely i think the interesting thing here is last time we saw uh, Dicks, uh, he was in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he kills Boggs and Lewis, he's not in a wheelchair. Exactly, he's, yeah. He's standing tall and proud. And so, obviously, this leads Harvey to investigate uh, Dix along with Jim. But, you know, you see the strain coming into uh, the partnership of Harvey and, and Jim as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Dan Hadea, who plays the character of Dix, is such a well-known character, actually. You've seen him in, in movies like Clueless and The Usual Suspects. He's always one of those characters that's been in the background. So the minute he comes in, you know exactly who he is, that he's definitely an actor you've seen before somewhere. And to have him come in and murder somebody immediately in front of you, then you go... Hang on a second. They said his name is Dix. We recognize that. Harvey's talked about him before, and we've seen him on the show before, and we know that he's in the wheelchair. So really interesting. I love, as they call up to his apartment, there's that whole conversation going on between Jim and Harvey, where Harvey's regretting the fact that he hasn't called in on this guy in a wheelchair because of everything that's gone down in the city, you know? He knows he wouldn't have left. He knows he'd still be there, and now he knows he's going to be on his own when they arrive. But they aren't met with the most warm of receptions. Well, a shotgun's pretty warm, I suppose, after it's been shot. Well, he's defending his castle here, mm-hmm. and certainly he blows a hole right through the door. It's a good job that Harvey um, sort of did the sidestep, yes. really. Yeah. Uh, I kind of noticed that. I clocked that, and I thought, I reckon we're going to get a few bullets through um, <laughs> through the door. I thought they were just going to be from, like, a, a handgun rather than a massive sawn-off shotgun mm-hmm. that uh, Dix used. But whilst he's there, he's got cases on the bed. I mean, it all looks fairly incriminating, yes. uh, especially to Jim Gordon. But in some ways, the investigation is at least solved in part with the arrival of a doppelganger yes. uh, of Dix at the door. It, it's really kind of interesting because it then kicks off and jump boards us into a whole other set of investigation. But not until uh, this doppelganger's face has been literally <laughs> ripped from their face, whoever this person is as, as the doppelganger. And probably returning us to another one of the sides of Harvey that we've seen, probably a lot more of over the last five seasons, when he's looking at this face in his hand going, what the hell just happened yeah. here? <laughs> Have I ripped off somebody's face? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Classic Gotham. But yes, that kind of closes down case note number one, the whole concept really that possibly Dix was coming back for revenge against his former partners is moved off i suppose that that whole idea is lost after these scenes uh, and the investigation continues really yeah i think on to case note number two jane doe is no one mm-hmm. 
Is that a Game of Thrones reference, I uh, I think? I'm excited, yes. April 14th. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very excited. Yes, I just thought the idea of her replacing her face uh, with other people's faces or the faces falling off after she's used them, I thought that was a little bit uh, reminiscent of a certain character in Game of Thrones. Yes, I I think so. (laughs) I think so indeed. But I think in this case... Um, it, it's not uh, Arya Stark, but it is a Jane Cartwright. And this all comes back to an old case of Harvey's, uh, Dix's, Boggs and Lewis's. And, and for the whole reason why Boggs and Lewis were killed, this gives Jim and Harvey the impetus to track down this faceless uh, person who mm-hmm. um, showed up at uh, Dix's door. Yeah, I kind of like this whole concept of Jim Gordon going and doing the tracking of all of the cases that Harvey was involved in and then cross-reference them with the other other detectives and then cross-reference them again with the only piece of information he has, which is that it's a woman who killed her husband and nothing particularly odd was about was there about the case, what he's being told. But he goes behind all their backs. He's effectively the chief of police now. So he's kind of going, right you're hiding some information from me. I'm going to show how good a detective I am and I'm going to find exactly what case it was that you were talking about. Turns out that this was a normal banker who came home and murdered her husband. She gave her statement that said that she had murdered him and then recanted so they couldn't prosecute her for it. What Harvey and the rest of the detectives did was they pressured her daughter, her seven-year-old daughter, Jane Cartwright, into testifying against her mother, sending her mother away to prison and effectively leaving her as an orphan. So she had to go through... And I can only imagine how bad this was. The Gotham adoption system. That's obviously pretty bad. Luckily, Bruce Wayne didn't have to go through that because he had Alfred Pennyworth taking care of him. Jane Doe is a product of that system where effectively she's driven insane by all of her experiences over her time through the system and eventually put away in Arkham. And what we find is, once again, the hand of Professor Strange is in the creation of another character. He's taken her away from Arkham and experimented on her, trying to turn her into a form of chameleon, which allows her to change her body into anything she touches. Great, great moment in this episode is where Jim has her in the uh, interview room and we have Harvey Bullock looking on at effectively the mess that he's created along with the other detectives when they were kids. Beautifully shot scene as we yeah, see. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, Harvey reflected in the mirror as he's looking on with Jim and she's saying to him, I've touched you, Jim. I've touched you so I can use your skin like I can with anybody else's. Really fabulous moment. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a really nicely shot image, that, of, of Harvey. You you can see the torment in his face, and I think that's what adds this whole interview scene so much weight. He, he kind of realizes, you know, what he's done in the past. Boggs and Lewis are dead. Dix gets killed because she escapes Mm -hmm. uh, and he's the uh, at the precinct and she kills him Uh, and there's a great moment where she uses her chameleon like abilities to to change um uh, into uh jim harvey and finally barbara mm-hmm. so she, she's she got all this kind of th- these cards of different people that she can turn into and she yeah. just switches it on i thought that was really really nice but it does strain harvey's relationship with jim because jim's been looking at the old cases as you say and kind of benches him really yeah um to an extent but with her escaping harvey kind of takes it up uh off his own uh free will and and goes after her to track her without jim and ultimately yeah. it ends up killing her. Exactly, yes. Uh, and not for the first time this episode, we have a moment where Harvey is effectively facing down Jane Doe. And I think this is a really interesting moment. I think it did cause a little bit of confusion um, when we were when we were watching it live with some of the other fellow Gothamites that were watching the episode, um, where she's effectively saying to Harvey that she's a monster underneath the mask, and that's why she wears the mask. And when she removes it, what we find is it's just yeah. a normal 27-year-old woman quite beautiful looking, no scars at all. And she is saying that those scars on the inside are reflected on the outside of her skin. Uh, complete confusion from Harvey, but you can see his heart just breaks for the realization of what him and his crew have done to this young girl. She was only a seven-year-old when they met her, and now she is so broken that she feels she's completely scarred on the outside. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's only because she threatens to kill him uh, that he then pulls the gun and kills yeah. her. Yeah. Maybe there is an element of him covering up his mess uh, and his former partner's mess as maybe, well. Maybe, But I think it was a genuine threat from her that he responded to as a trained police officer and shot her dead instantly. I'm not sure whether there was a whether Harvey was thinking enough to cover up the past. 
Yeah, no, I I think so. But, it, I mean, it does ease him to the point where he confesses the actual story with Jim, mm-hmm. um, showing, you know, how it effectively led to the Harvey Bullock that we, we know and love here, uh, and how, it you know, he became the detective that he became. I, I think, for me, it's always that then Jim has his, you know, moral um, priest affliction where he passes judgment down on anyone uh, despite his own failings. And I don't know, maybe that's uh, a good thing uh, or maybe not. I think I would kind of head towards the latter. I think it, it just feels a little preachy and it feels a little contradictory given everything that Jim has also done that maybe he would want to bury in a case file. Um, but nonetheless, we do get Jim's judgment down on uh, Harvey Bullock, you know, the fire and brimstone arrives and you just wonder where this leaves them uh, because it is slightly uh, strained uh, between the two of them. It's be- only slightly strained, but it's nothing new between their relationship. You know, what Harvey actually says to him is, this is how I became the detective I was when you arrived in the city, Jim. And now I've, I am the t- detective I am today because of what you've done. And Jim says, you're not, I hope you're not looking for forgiveness because I have nothing for you, basically. Nothing new there from Jim. That's, that is the Jim that's been written for the last five seasons. I know. And as we mentioned, this is an additional episode, so you're certainly not going to change a Jim character in this episode. Of all the episodes, this isn't going to be something not. that adds to him. But it does add a huge amount to the backstory of Harvey, I think. I loved seeing that moment of Harvey's heart just break as he realizes what he's done with the past that he lived in for the 10, 15 years before Jim even arrived. Yeah, no, I think it's really, really good. And it's a good instinct to go for to use Harvey Bullock as a get a, more of a backstory in for him. I wish over the years, you know, 22 episodes per season, I wish we'd had more episodes focusing around Harvey and his history as well. They're already in prequel mode, doing the prequel to Gotham before Batman arrives. So why not give us a little bit more backstory of Harvey Bullock? So I'm really glad they chose this as one of the central stories in here. Let's get on to case note number three. Uh, another kind of side story, and one that we've kind of been looking for for years. Not sure whether this one um, hit all the notes that we wanted it to hit, but Hunting a River Monster? Yeah, I think it definitely is some form, proto-form of Killer Croc. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the fully formed one, but um, I do think this is really, really good. Um, it was great to have this nod to Killer Croc here, yeah. with Bruce and Alfred hunting down... Um, well, not hunting down, tracking down uh, a missing husband to a woman that they met at the GCPD, mm-hmm. but ultimately being tracked and hunted themselves in the sewers of Gotham, all because of um, the the lovely firework display that was put out by uh, the river surrounding Gotham. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think here we have a monster that um, certainly has power, certainly has a bloodlust Um, You know, we see arms off and we have all sorts of blood trails in the sewers. Um, And I definitely think that this is a monster that is worthy of being the start of Killer Croc. Mm -hmm. The nice little reveal there as they look around the corner with the torch trained on the hand. Alfred goes, give it a second. And as they walk towards, everybody knows there's going to be nothing attached to that arm, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think it was just really um, good to see uh, a little bit of horror here as well, Mm -hmm. because, you know, just the cutting, the editing down in the sewers and... you know, which way is he going to come from? Is it the left? Is it the right? Both Alfred and um, Bruce are troubled by this character. They're given a right run for their money. So I, this was a really nice uh, moment. You know, you felt the jeopardy that they were in and mm-hmm. um, trying to find this this missing guy. So uh, I thought that was really good, yeah. Yeah, and it's been a while since we've seen Alfred and Bruce really work together to take something down, you know. We've seen, obviously, training from Alfred to Bruce over the course of these many seasons, but it's really nice to see them two, the two of them fighting side by side uh, to take down this monster. But we see Alfred kind of loses it a little bit. He keeps going and keeps punching until Bruce calms him down and pulls him back. Um, this kind of adds a little bit to the storyline, which I did like, um, this concept that effectively Alfred feels that he's made the the family home go. The last connection that Bruce has to his past is gone because, well, Alfred let himself be taken in by Mad Hatter and by Jeremiah, uh, allowing the whole of Wayne Manor to be exploded, you know? Yeah. It's a lovely moment and a wonderful moment from 
David Mazous as Bruce Wayne, where he tells uh, Sean Pertwee's Alfred, I'm here, I'm part of a family, and what being a family member means is that I can be strong when you're not strong. And Alfred realizing how how far this character's come since the first season, how far he's come in those five years that he's been in charge of uh, Bruce's welfare. I think that's a lovely moment, realizing how growing up this boy that he was when uh, when they first were, were working together, how grown up he's become now. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think what's really nice here is I think there's a bit of an evolution as to how Bruce would see him as a... Uh, as the Batman, as a vigilante, yeah. there when he pulls Alfred from uh, this this mutant human hybrid, mm-hmm. uh, where he says, "No, you can't do that." You know, he he now is beginning to form those boundaries as to what he will become. And in the past, we've seen really Alfred doing that. Yeah. Um, as you say, Alfred kind of loses it because he's gone to an extreme because of the loss of Wayne Manor mm-hmm. uh, and um, the the perceived loss of everything that Bruce would hold dear. And so as you say then, that moment where Bruce comforts the person who's effectively been comforting him for the last uh, however many years is just a really nice kind of sort of switch in, in roles here. Yeah. And I, I think that lends, as you say, to the maturity of um, Bruce Wayne in Gotham. And I do think this is probably the first time we've heard it said out loud by Alfred about the idea of people in Gotham needing someone to call upon that aren't the GCPD. Um, he says to him a bit later on that, you know, they should probably leave jobs like this to the GCPD, but they should get involved when necessary. Um, and it sounds like Alfred's really pushing towards this idea of having a vigilante who can operate outside of the law and do things much quicker than the GCPD can. But I think it's one of the first times I've heard it voiced properly from Alfred. Absolutely, but I think speaking of voices, yes. onto case note number four, mm-hmm. the ventriloquist and Scarface. Oh, yes. Yes, we have a fantastic return for Mr. Penn, uh, but not as we know it, and not as Oswald Cobblepot knows it either, mm-hmm. um, because uh, Mr. Penn is carrying a bag, and in that bag is a ventriloquist dummy, and that Dummy seems to have an awful sway over Mr. Penn. And I must say, I think, first of all, um, you know, props to the uh, production team because Scarface here looks really, really good. Um, And I think, again, props to uh, Andrew Sellen here for being the ventriloquist with Scarface. Um, It's really interesting. And I think, you know, you listen to the interview where he talks about the kind of words that you wouldn't necessarily want to say as an actual ventriloquist. Uh Um, And he has to say a lot of them. Um, But it's really good to see. It's nicely done. And I think what's really kind of touching is that ultimately, um, you know, this reuniting of, of the two is cut short by Ed putting a bullet uh, into Arthur Penn's uh, head just after you know the, the the spell the the bewitching that the the dummy of Scarface has over uh, Mr. Penn has been cut short because Oswald makes that choice to shoot Scarface to shoot the dummy to kind of believe his old accountant and and friend yeah. uh, that he is being controlled by um by the dummy so it it really really is a nice part of this episode for me i I was really chuffed um that these two were back on screen um i'm a little annoyed at ed for cutting the party short to be honest but um look what can you do that there were only ever going to be two extra episodes but it's almost like the rug has been pulled the curtain has come down uh, (laughs) on the ventriloquist a little too early because wow um just the the dummy the voice that was done for scarface was superb absolutely really really good to see him back and remember this was filmed after the episode 10 was done so we couldn't have reinserted ventriloquist in the later episodes it just unfortunately wasn't going to happen so this decision obviously to kill off pen and scarface was made because there's nothing else they really could have ended off the series with i suppose but hey look it's only a bullet you know it's gotham after all you know you never know what could happen if they ever need the character again i'm sure he's he's welcome to come there's some great touches in the scene though i love the penguin suddenly for no particular reason starts calling mr Penn Arnold's 
by mistake. He's never called him by his first name before. He just keeps calling him Arnold and getting corrected that it's Arthur. This is obviously a nod to the comic book character of Arnold Wesker, who is the actual uh, ventriloquist who, who holds the dummy of Scarface. Uh, some lovely touches as well when Scarface is, is kind of criticising Oswald for um, always putting himself before Mr. Penn. And we see... As he gets angrier and angrier, the voice changes from Scarface into Mr. Penn's yeah, voice. Yeah, really good. Lovely touch. And finally, of course, when Ed does kill Mr. Penn, we get that admission from Ed that he believes that himself and Oswald work so well together because they have complementary personalities. They both put up with each other so well and they both realize which one is needed to make the right choice in every set of circumstances. Sometimes Oswald's too open to his old friends coming back and it takes Ed to pull that trigger and make sure that he's kept protected so beautiful little moment for them and a nice extra addition to those characters as well i think definitely um i I just thought it was so nicely played uh by all three Uh, and um yeah it it was just really good i mean i think it's one of these things that gotham does actually so incredibly well and that is to take characters we've said this many times before Mm -hmm. uh whether they're just side characters in the show and make them and insert them into a really nice place within the show, or they take maybe underused characters from the comics and and really insert them in a meaningful way into the show. And I I think certainly you read the comic of No Man's Land and the the first bad in in that comic is the ventriloquist Mm -hmm. and Scarface. So to have him in this show after No Man's Land at the end of season four just feels incredibly right and and it adds a new dimension to uh, the character uh, you know an underused character and I think that's the same uh, with Mad Hatter it gives it fresh impetus I think uh, by having it like this and and using it in a creative way so uh, yeah for for props I think to everyone involved here because I thought it was a really good sort of standoff scene that happens between effectively the ventriloquist and and Arthur Penn through the medium of Scarface in a sense with Penguin Mm -hmm. but always lurking at the back is Ed Nigma and who ultimately looks out for himself at both turns whether it's him trying to throw Penguin under the bus for Mm self-preservation to get the the focus of Scarface onto uh, Oswald Cobblepot or as you say at the end were I'm not having this guy coming in and interrupting our yin and yang and shooting Arthur Penn uh, in the head. Yeah, yeah. Sad moment. But again, only only a gunshot. <laughs> Those are most of the main points of the episode. But just one note, which I thought was quite interesting, about Barbara Keane for our case note number five. Uh, it's an interesting discussion that she has with Jim where she says she's seen the list of all of the villains in Gotham, all the ones that are going to be arrested and thrown into prison, and has realised that her name's on there. And obviously... With her being pregnant, she feels that this may be a plan of Jim's to send her off to prison. I think it's a really interesting chat that they have where she's kind of saying to him, you know, if I go on the straight and narrow, are you promising me that I won't go to prison? I won't be arrested. So are we hearing this is the real reason why we'll get the mother of Barbara Gordon, potentially the mother of the children of Jim Gordon being on the straight and narrow is because, well, she just didn't want to go to prison when the government came into Gotham after No Man's Land. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's true. Yeah, it it is one of those um, moments in Gotham where it really may not play out to its final conclusion, but it gives you the idea that it will Mm -hmm. um, once this show has finished, ultimately, and that you can see her changing course here Mm -hmm. and being the mother of, effectively, Oracle. Yeah, yeah. It's always really interesting, isn't it? We keep forgetting this. I think everybody does. He does have two children. One is Barbara Gordon, who stays with him, and one becomes another villain. So uh, there are two children involved, but I think probably might skip that uh, in the show. We'll see what happens uh, as we go towards the end of the series. But John, I think we need to have a look at our Gotham Moments of the Week and Characters of the Week. What's the Gotham Moment of the Week for you? For me, it's the tragic early death of Scarface, followed fairly quickly by the tragic early death of Mr. Penn Mm -hmm. for the second time. Um, Yeah, I have to say, um, I thought what they did with bringing Arthur Penn back, uh, connecting him back to Oswald, 
um, was just so interesting mm-hmm. and such a great moment of the week for me. Yeah. Um, and who doesn't like to see one of those classic Batman villains uh, being brought to life in this way? Yeah. Um, I think it's been done so many times in this show to such great effect. So um, for me, that's the moment of the week. Absolutely. And live ventriloquism on the TV show as well. You know, there was no, none of those moments when you're thinking somebody else is off stage doing the voice. You know the whole time that this is real ventriloquism being done. Really cool. Um, for me, just that, that face-off between Jane Doe and, uh, and Harvey Bullock is a really good Gotham moment of the week. Something we don't see very often is Harvey doing some serious acting in the show. We see a lot of the humor from Harvey Bullock, obviously, over the years. But seeing some serious moments with him have been unfortunately rare. So really nice to that they've had the opportunity to do with this episode. Definitely. And I think that moment where Harvey's uh, image is reflected in the two-way glass as he looks onto the interview room, I mm. think that's a really great shot. Um, and I think it it adds so much to the idea that uh, Harvey Bullock is conflicted uh, and, um, you know, reticent about what he did yeah. in in the past with his former colleagues so i thought that was really nicely done yeah great way to add color to the to the character definitely yeah um for gotham character of the week mm. uh for me again it has to be um two people actually and well in fact three um <laughs> and that is the ventriloquist mm-hmm. where which incorporates that character but also scarface and of course the return of the lovable Arthur Penn, you know, Oswald Cobblepot's right-hand man. Mm-hmm. Um, I really hope they do some kind of comic on this. I think it would be really interesting. It's a, it's a relationship that would be uh, great to see because I think what Robin Lord Taylor has been able to do is, yes, he shows this selfish, um, self-obsessed uh, Oswald Cobblepot looking for wealth, but not only does he show the other side, you know, with his mother, Gertrude, but also with Ed Nigma. But I think in, um, you know, smaller ways with Arthur Penn, but also with the young boy, Martine, mm, uh, yeah. uh, you know, just those moments, I think, really add something to uh, the Penguin in, in the sense that he can be absolutely and is absolutely awful as mm-hmm. a human being, but there is still humanity within him with these different um, uh, relationships. Yeah. So for me, it, it, it's the ventriloquist without a shadow of a doubt. And also because from season one, I have wanted this character or some notion of this character. Um, and that is the proto killer croc <laughs> that Bruce and Alfred, uh, ultimately come across in the sewers of gotham um you know there was a hint that we might uh, have killer croc um but it was not to be it yeah. was just a, another experiment of hugo strange again um mm. taking out a pharmacy uh, in this case but it was this was this was nice to see because if it's not killer killer croc i'm not entirely sure who it is to be <laughs> honest other than just a kind of Slightly deformed with the chemicals, strong human that's melting, is he? Or something like that. So for me, I'm calling him Proto-Killer Croc. I think they called him the burn-faced man on IMDb. Uh, I think something happened here with with the Suicide Squad taking the character of Killer Croc and putting him in the movie. Something happened there that the rights were taken by Warner Brothers and they couldn't use them for the show at all, even in this final series. So I think they probably just, rather than actually go into Warner Brothers and asking them for this additional character, they kind of said, right, we'll just leave it to the side now and just have a character that's created thinking you know in the future if someone happened to be in that sewage much longer they might end off being killer croc so uh, a, a nice little touch there i'd have to give a shout out to jane doe as well i think that's a really cool interesting character to have in this episode because without her we wouldn't have had all those transformations you could easily have done this with clayface for example that's true but i like that you have uh, this connection back to harvey bullock's past because you're using a young girl uh, in in this part yeah definitely so that just leaves one thing before our feedback. John, how would you rate this episode? I would give this four and a half split personality ventriloquists out of five. Nice. Um, yeah, I thought this was a really uh, good episode. Yes, I think it took us out of this kind of, you know, rush up to the end of the season mm-hmm. with the originally envisioned 
10 episodes, but I think it was a nice sort of sidestep into um, the, you know, the characters we know and we love uh, and just delving a little bit more into their past, a little bit more into their relationships uh, and really seeing some of this sort of play out. And I think that's really good. I, I suppose, you know, the only thing to say is I wish there was more time, but I, I think to explore Harvey's background again, to throw up that troubled partnership between Harvey and Jim. Cause as you say, we have seen that in the past to see Oswald and Ed being both cliquey and not really being able to escape themselves as a, as a, 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 a couple, I suppose uh-huh. with the ventriloquist sort of being that third wheel and threatening third wheel um, here. Plus just to see, um, Arthur Penn back was really, really nicely done. So for me, this this episode worked um, to have that little sidestep just to sort of play around with the world of Gotham and to explore a bit more some of these characters before we hurl ourselves towards um, a Batman. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a good a good moment, I suppose, to take a pause give something back to the fans uh, it's a nice way to do it you know as we've all said everybody wants a little bit more of gotham and always has wanted a little bit more of gotham well this is it this is what we get as a little bit more of gotham it's the kind of thing that would have been covered in a novel in the past or maybe a tie-in graphic novel in the past so it's lovely to see that they've actually brought back a bunch of the members of the cast pretty much everybody that you want to see back right now all of them back at the moment to do some little side stories for their characters. It's quite cool. You don't normally even get that on a regular episode of the show to have, you know, a big story with Bruce and Alfred on their own, Jim and Harvey on their own, maybe with Barbara, I suppose you can include her in there, and then having uh, Oswald and um, Ed over on the other side dealing with another issue, you know, all three separate stories, just giving you a little bit of, I suppose, filling out the corners of these characters in Gotham. Really cool. Really, really enjoyed it, I must say. Yeah, good stuff. On to some feedback for, for Gotham. Uh, we've got an, an email in from Claire Payne. Uh, remember, Gothamites, you can send in email feedback to feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Claire Payne says, what a great episode this was. In a way, I'm so glad that the structure of the original 10 episodes had been written and filmed. This being the first of the extra two, I think gave the season a little bit of breathing space and that extra character emotion, action and comedy. Mm -hmm. Hooray for a Harvey Bullock focused story. It's always good to see a story from the past, even though the crime was a murder of a husband who beat up his wife and child. It's the emotion of the aftermath where Hugo Strange and Indian Hill are again connected. There's also Jim not willing to give Harvey forgiveness, but Harvey not wanting it. He just needed Jim to know. Again, another subtle, well-acted, scripted scene between these two great characters. Mm -hmm. Character of the week has to be Mr. Penn and Mr. Scarface. The acting and the change of character between the dummy and Mr. Penn just shows what a talent Andrew Sellen is. Penguin's reaction to seeing Penn again was so good, and the reaction got even better when Penn introduced Mr. Scarface, especially when Scarface tells him to shut his pie hole. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Ed, whilst just trying to build the SS Gertrude, is going along with the disruption. Bruce and Alfred were also impressive in this episode. I really liked the way they took the discussion with the lady in the precinct to investigate on their own. Again, more solid dialogue from Alfred that the city needs a hero. Mm -hmm. Barbara did make me laugh when she compared her nightclub turning into The Walking Dead. (laughs) A nice moment between Jim and Barbara as she has a choice of who she wants to be when reunification happens. I loved this episode. It didn't even feel like a filler episode. As always, the 45 minutes keep you gripped, mm-hmm. Claire. Yeah, absolutely, Claire. I think um, you've touched on so many points there that's really important to to Gotham that you know, it just grips you. There's poignant moments, there's action, there's romance, there's comedy. Um, and I think um, it really delivered it in spades. I, I think definitely... Ed just trying to go along with the disruption, uh, but also to save himself, I think, as well, was really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Some other great uh, touches in the episode as well that forgot to call out while we were going through it. Um, Did you notice Arthur Penn's tie uh, when he comes in just before he brings out uh, Scarface, John? 
his tie is a wooden tie. Ties have always been really important to uh, Arthur Pan's character. This time we see him with a wooden bow tie, uh, indicating that somebody wooden will be arriving very soon. <laughs> I thought that was a really nice touch as well. Yeah, uh, that is a good touch yeah. as well, yeah. Because I think it was um, the Mad Hatter from one of the previous episodes, it was identified that he had a picture of his sister Alice in his uh, top hat, which yes. was a really, again, a nice touch. And it's one of those production moments where you blink and you miss it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But the thought that goes behind to the detail of, of these characters' costumes and, and the production it is, quite frankly, really, really stunning. Yeah, absolutely. And just another tiny touch uh, from Andrew Sellen, just to mention that Mr. Penn, of course, introduces Scarface as Mr. Scarface because manners are really important to Mr. Penn. Definitely. <laughs> we must always introduce somebody with their full title. Let's get on to some Facebook feedback. If you want to join our, join our Facebook group for these final couple of episodes, join us over on facebook.com slash groups slash Gotham TV podcast. Uh, Richard Blaze says, I really thought it was a strong episode this week, especially after the climax last week. A far creepy, creepier episode juxtaposed with the comedy from Penguin Riddler and Mr. Scarface. The scene when he first comes in out of the box was just sublime. And then once he starts to talk, wow, the fact you can see Mr. Penn's mouth move while Scarface talks and having the dummy looking through the blinds were really nice touches to make out the crazy is back. Just a shame it was over as soon as it began. Armin the sewer automatically had me chanting, Killer Croc, Killer Croc. Mm, Absolutely. Could it have been ignoring the brain damage? Could it have been the Killer Croc? Yes. (laughs) You'd say that anyway, John, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's proto-Killer Croc. Let's say proto, definitely. Uh, Richard also says, Jane Doe is a great character. Nice tie-in to Harvey's past as a character who has grown massively during the show. These episodes are flying by in the blink of an eye. I know only four episodes left to go. It's it's amazing how quickly they've all gone. I think I think you're totally right, there, uh, Richard. The the show is flying by. The these last twelve episodes. It's also characters are flying by. I'm completely with you. It is a shame that the likes of Scarface and the Ventriloquist are over as soon as they've begun. But it's great to have that brief moment with them. I think as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is. It's a really creepy episode this i think with the sewers with scarface because yeah that that touch where he's looking through the blinds is really good and just just the eyes of that doll is just incredible he's a dummy john not a doll (laughs) well yeah okay (laughs) um you know are just incredible Mm -hmm. so um yeah Really good touch. Yeah, really fun on-set moments there as well, because I know the dummy's arm didn't move, so a lot of work had to be done to get him looking through the blinds. Really cool. Job, do you want to take our next piece? Yeah, also from Facebook, Patrick Lemke said, I did some more reading on Scarface. Apparently one of the dummy's origins in the comics involved him being built from the wood of the old Blackgate Gallows, where many prisoners were hanged. Yes. Really, really interesting. Patrick goes on to say, I knew there was something supernatural about him being from the magic shop and all, but maybe similar to what Chaz could do in the Constantine shows, Scarface can rebuild himself with one of the prisoner's souls contained within him Mm -hmm. and maybe resurrect a potential host. That's a really, um, yeah, it's a good investigative uh, comic book reading, Patrick, because definitely um, there is a mystical supernatural element about Scarface where he takes over control of the the ventriloquist host, really. And, you know, there is that element to it or it is that split personality of the ventriloquist uh, himself. And I think that is... The great thing about this character is that, you know, writers can view it through both those different lenses. Yeah. Um, and I, it's um, certainly with the death previously of uh, Arthur Penn, you get this feeling that there is a resurrection of, of this host, which is Arthur Penn. But at the same time, there is that moment where Arthur Penn seems to push through yeah. that control coming from Scarface. So it's a really great interpretation of this character that it brings in both of those i think yeah absolutely really good really good idea and also a great shout out about Chaz in the constantine show mm-hmm. yes i love that show as well i <laughs> know i love you're still calling it constantine <laughs> I love it. constantine uh, there you go <laughs> let's get on to the, the final piece of feedback uh, salim the kisler said uh, it's episode that this one that made me favor shorter seasons after the run the show had up to this this felt a little bit flat for me we had six of our favorite characters paired off against what turned out to be three 
kind of okay villains. Happy that the show is going to make it to 100 episodes, but this just felt a little bit like filler. Uh, Penguin and Riddler was good. Bruce and Alfred was fine. Jim and Harvey was just okay. None of the pairings told us anything particularly new about these characters or their relationships or gave many wow moments. It was more of what we'd seen and some mailed-in storylines. But Celine did follow up by saying, I appreciate this episode much more after hearing your interview with Andrew Salon. What a great story of how it all happened. Yeah, I suppose it is one of those ones, you know, not everybody's up to date on all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes, you know. And, and sometimes you get to this kind of episode and go, hang on a second, where's Jer- Jeremiah gone, you know, or where's where's Kat gone, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, this is something that is only here with us because... Fox wanted to fill some extra time and keep the series on for a couple of episodes longer than originally planned. So taking that into account, having an episode where we can just hear from some of our favourite characters and have some side stories with them, which we don't get the opportunity to do at all this season. It is cracking out at some pace. Uh, Having that opportunity to do it, I think, is just a real pleasure for all of us, really, to have these moments with these characters. Yeah, definitely. And I also think it's always good to bring, you know, some lesser known characters, yeah. whether it's Harvey. And I, I mean that in the sense that, um, you know, within the comics, not so much within this show, but, you know, to to bring their storylines up again, to introduce someone like the ventriloquist that otherwise wouldn't be introduced. Yeah. I think it is really good because, um, you know, as we hurtle on towards the creation of the Batman, if you're not careful as a show, you fall into Poison Ivy, uh, Catwoman, and the Joker. And it's nice to have some of this variety in it. But I I do understand your point, though, for mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely. Thanks so much for all your feedback. You can email us with any feedback or any thoughts about this series so far over at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. We told you how to join us on our Facebook group, but you can also join us on Twitter, Ask Gotham TV Podcast. We'll be back for the next episode, episode nine of season five of Gotham, The Trial of Jim Gordon. The episode will be on on the 7th of March, and it was written by Ben McKenzie and directed by one Aaron Richards. This is the final episode produced for Gotham with all of the cast involved and will be a kind of a bridge between this batch of episodes and the final episodes of the series so really excited to see what they put together for us on the trial of jim gordon hoping there's going to be another few appearances of some interesting characters yeah cannot wait for the trial of jim gordon i think he needs it after giving out to harvey the way he did (laughs) maybe maybe thanks so much for joining us talk to you next time yeah but with that thank you so much fellow gothamites for joining us it's a pleasure as always to talk with you um i'm just going to go off and tell people to shut their pie hole but once pies have been shut and eaten and swilled down with gravy mushy peas and a good portion of chips from uh somewhere close to manchester in the uk then um we'll be back to speak with you again soon bye bye This is Andrew Sellen, Mr. Penn, and the Ventriloquist on Gotham. And this is Scarface. And you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Yeah, yeah. And you better keep listening, you hear?